and everything is changing in NIL so rapidly that we needed a way to create an ongoing educational and information dissemination process. And so we created a resource hub, <clears throat> which you can go on eckersports.com uh, and have access to the, the largest library of content specific to the high school market. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with all kinds of interesting folks. I'm Tom Richardson. I'm normally joined by my co-host, Joe Favorito, but today, Joe is at, as we speak, he's at the home opener of the New York Mets, City Field, and he got a really good day, and the Mets got a really good day. It's a gorgeous early spring day in the New York City area. Uh, so I will be doing this one solo and um, we should be fine because we've got a really interesting guest, someone we've been anxious to have on the show since we started the show a long time ago, but for different scheduling reasons, we haven't been able to work it out. Many of you in the industry know of, have worked with, are friends with, or at least connected to our guest today. He is an, has an incredible resume in the sports business as among other things, a coach, an entrepreneur, a visionary in the tech space, a pioneer in digital video and digital technologies as it relates to team and player performance back in the, in the days when we didn't even know what that meant, digital technologies related to player performance. Um, and he is an entrepreneur, as I mentioned, who just launched a new business, which just recently got some press in the world of NIL, but a little twist on that. It's more NIL related to high schools. So there's going to be a lot to talk about. So we'll just jump in with our guest, Randy Ecker. Randy, welcome finally to the Cusp Show. Thanks, Tom. And uh, God, you know, you'd think we could do this out at, uh, out at the ballpark with Joe, but, you know, I guess we weren't invited. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't get that invitation. <laughs> Apparently you didn't either. <laughs> Evidently, um, he only had one ticket. But yeah, and then, you know, Joe's, Joe's connections are uh, the, the best in the industry. So he, he gets invited to everything. I know. Um, he's, he's the sports world's guest. Yes. That's not going to stop us from having a great conversation. Randy, when I thought about how we might approach this conversation, I was thinking about how your varied background gives you a a really unique perspective on where things are at this point in the history of both the sports business and technology. And I know you've had various inspirations to do what you're doing now. Part of that has to emanate from your experience, nine-year experience as a college level basketball coach, which is incredibly impressive. Why don't you talk a little bit about your background having started in the coaching ranks, getting into the world of technology and entrepreneurism and how that all kind of came together to find yourself doing this new business with Ecker Sports. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I know and that's a big question. It's kind of a long essay question, but we, we can go back and forth on it. Yeah, we only have 45 minutes for this. Right. So I, could, I could just do my background, but it's been so varied. Um, you know, and it's been so much fun, right? I've, uh, I'm very fortunate that I get to, to work in an industry 
um, that I've always been passionate about. You know, I grew up in a family. My dad was a high school coach. You know, I lived and breathed for sports. I played three sports in high school. I was recruited, you know, in three sports in high school. I, I went to Creighton University, had a great uh, career, uh, was very fortunate to be on really good teams and, and get some individual accolades and, and uh, honors and things like that, which I'm very, was very humbled by actually. And then I, I, I was actually ready to go into law school, right? I was going to go to law school. I, I, you know, that had always been kind of something in the back of my mind or that became more of the forefront of my mind, just because there's so many great things about law school, whether you practice law or you don't, law school helps prepare you for a lot of different things. Um, but I had the chance when I, and, and coaching in sports, obviously, it always been a big, you know, big part of my life. And when I graduated from college, my college basketball coach asked me if I wanted to stay on and coach. And in those days, it was the part-time role, and I was able to get a graduate degree and, and you know, have all the responsibilities of a full-time coach. Um, none of the pay of a full-time coach, but a lot of the responsibilities um, really for the pay of a graduate assistant. But it was just such a wonderful experience. I got to work with great people. I then um, went to Northern Iowa, their first year Division One. I. I was the assistant coach. Um, I ended up then going back to Colorado, which is where I'd, I'd grown up in Colorado. Had a, you know, we won the state championship in basketball. I was the most valuable player in the state. And, um, and Coach Apke, my high college coach, and the guy who had asked me to get into coaching, he asked me to come back and, and be one of his full-time assistants. We were there for five years. And as what happens with most coaches, right? We get fired, right? Well, he gets fired and we don't get retained. So uh, I ended up going to Northern Illinois for a year and, um, you know, it was a good experience, but I was probably farther away from my goal at that point um, than I was at the beginning of my career. I had interviewed for head jobs, you know, during those nine years. And, you know, we had a, the first year at Northern Illinois, we didn't have a great experience. Um, I was going through some personal issues uh, and challenges. And so I had the opportunity to step out of coaching and get into broadcasting. And we moved back to Omaha. And in those days, you know, it was before ESPN and Fox and, and CBS were running around buying up all the rights, right? So the NCAA and the CFA controlled all of the rights. And uh, if you, as a, as a, even a tier one college, if you didn't get selected, if you did not get selected for one of those games, the rights fell back to the, to the colleges. And so we started doing a lot of Nebraska games. We probably did three or four Nebraska games. We did their coaches shows. We did their highlight videos. We did Creighton University. And so we're doing all the TV work and having a lot of fun doing it. But at the end of um, at the end of that first year, Coach Osborne, Hall of Fame football coach, you know, won three national championships as a head coach, one of the all time leaders in in coaching victories. He called us up and said, hey, you know, they tell me I have this computer system that will edit and duplicate videotape. Um, we want to transition from film to video and at least try it in spring football. The NFL had gone to video a couple of years prior to that, um, but nobody was really doing it very well. And these computer editing systems on these little desktop computers that had like 20 megabits of uh, storage, not RAM, but storage, right? They were driving these video editing systems. And so we, we went down and, and hooked them up. 
And, you know, just serendipitously, two weeks after spring football, Jim Wacker, who is the coach at TCU, another Hall of Fame coach, called us up and said, Randy, we just made a decision at the Southwest Conference to move from film to video. We don't know what the heck we're doing. Coach Osborne said, I should call you. Oh, that's funny. Wow. And, and number one, that set the stage for an entire career transition for right. me. But the other thing it did, it really set the stage for me understanding how important int integrity of relationships would end up being throughout my career. Mm -hmm. And Tom, you know this in sports in particular. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's similar in a lot of industries, but sports is such a fraternal industry. Right. Even though it's competitive on the field or on the court, off the court, it's very fraternal. Mm -hmm. And people want to help people who have helped them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of loyalty in that regard. And so Coach Osborne was happy to help those guys. Those guys brought us in because we had been recommended by Coach Osborne. We had a great opportunity there, and that really set the stage for a transition for the entire industry. And so I got out of the broadcasting, at least for a while, and uh, went to work for a company um, as one of the kind of founding partners in that. And we had the software that could edit and duplicate this videotape. And so we, we sold over 200 systems throughout the NFL, Tier 1 colleges, NBA, um, NHL, et cetera. And that really started a trend <clears throat> that was going to regenerate um, in, in cycles over the next 25 or 30 years around um, coaching analytics. Right. And it has evolved into what it is today. Yeah. So <clears throat> in the 90s, uh, I'm sorry, in the late 80s, we transitioned the entire industry from film to video. And I was fortunate to be in the in the group that had the, the leading software, and we developed a 90 plus percent market share in all the important um, leagues and tiers and things like that. And then <clears throat> after a couple of years, we had the, um, you know, we went public. And in those days, it was a much different thing. You could do it on the bulletin board stocks. And so it was a smaller offering, but it was significant uh, to say the least. And I had the opportunity to go back into basketball. And so I ran a CBA basketball team, the Omaha Racers, for a year. And after that year, I just wasn't comfortable, you know, kind of where that was going. And I just hung out a shingle and I said, hey, I'm going to go and try and try my hand at doing something unique. And so for the, the 90s, I spent, you know, my time. One of my friends said, I know what you are. You're the master of the part time job. I had a sports a talk pioneer, radio. A pioneer in that world. That's right. Too. That's right. I had a sports talk radio show for 10 years with a with a guy who really led it. And I kind of filtered in and out as I needed to. I went to work with uh, Avid Sports and we spun out a um, a small group out of Avid Technology, which was the, you know, the standard in video editing at the time. We spun that out and uh, took that private. And we then <clears throat> proceeded from 94 to 2000 to transition the sports analytics industry from video to digital video mm -hmm. with all the benefits that digital provides, right? Right, right? And so again, we we scaled that to 90 plus percent market share. I had a very unique relationship with the, the three senior partners in that group. I was there. I, I kind of did a little bit of everything and, and ended up being their uh, senior advisor to that group. And um, 
you know, we, we took that about as far as you could. We sold that to Pinnacle in 2000. And because of the uniqueness of my contract, um, I was a free agent, basically. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a guy we had created some partnerships with, Dan Ayton, who had started Exos. And he had three employees and three clients at the time, primarily in the NBA. And uh, he said, you know, I really don't want to work with the guys from Pinnacle, but I like working with you. I really want you to, you know, I really want you to come take part of my company and we'll work together. And so I bought in 50% and uh, we were partners for 11 years. For Wow. So that was the beginning yeah. of Exos. I, I never knew that origin story. So uh, that was, that was the beginning of Exos. And I, but I told him, I said, so two things. And one of the things I had done during that master of the part-time job career shift, I'd done some regulatory research consulting and uh, got involved in the telecommunications industry as that was breaking up. And so that was exciting. But, but one of the most fun things that I did at the time was I did some investment banking and I lined up the original investment in a company called the National Information Consortium. And they were doing public-private partnerships with state governments that allowed them to provide all of the web services and the back-end uh, data management services at no charge for a, a small piece of, a small incremental piece of all the revenue that was transacted through the website. Hmm. So I lined up the investment and I had a business partner and his son was the number two guy at Hellman Friedman, which was one of the largest merchant banks at the time on the West Coast. And they came in and invested. And that company, when we first started talking, uh, they were at about a $30 million valuation. By the time the deal closed, it was 70 million. They went public a year later at 600 million. And a year after that, they were at a $3 billion valuation. Wow, wow. And then of course, 2000 hit and the, and the, <laughs> and the, and the, the internet bubble burst and it went from a three hundred or a three billion dollar valuation back down to about a fifty million dollar valuation. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, as my business partner's wife said, John, we're not rich anymore, are we? Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, yeah. That's, Tom, that's, that, that's reminding yeah. me of, of of the documentary I'm watching right where the where that you said the docudrama we crashed. Yeah. How uh, that business went from being valued at forty seven billion to to uh, a lot less. Yes, we work. Yeah, we work. Right. But anyway, uh, to be fair, you know, the company's clawed back and as you know, now is doing wonderfully again. Um, but that gave and, and that sets the stage for my next point about Exos right. when I was talking to Dan and I said, and th I think this is important, especially for the younger people who want to get involved in sports. The thing that we talked about when I joined the company, I said, on two conditions. Number one, we've got to focus on football because 80% of all the revenue that's generated in sports business and sports technology is based around the football industry and the NFL and the tier one of college, as you know. And I said, secondly, we've, we've got to find a way to parlay our relationships and our market position uh, into the internet. Mm -hmm. And remember that's still in the early 2000s when most people are dialing up uh, through AOL, right? Yeah, exactly. Which, you, right, which right. you know well, right? Yeah. Being the head of sports for AOL for a yeah. number of years. They, they, we, we couldn't avoid them. They were, they were airdropping diskettes in, into, yeah. into, our, into our communities. <laughs> so, 
so we we were able to do a, a really nice job and i give dan a lot of credit he, he really oversaw a lot of the technology side of things um we built a lot of our products and services organically we did over the first uh seven or eight years we did 15 different acquisitions we built exos literally from from you know zero revenue we doubled in size almost every year we ended up um, 11 years later, about a $35 million company, 250 employees. Um, and we really did it. Uh, we had three pronged approach. We had the coaching analytics, which <clears throat> we built up and then we acquired a company. And then we actually survived a lawsuit from Pinnacle um, that, you know, remember Pinnacle had bought Avid Sports from us. And so they had then that 90 plus percent market share that we had provided to them through the acquisition. And at Exos, because I didn't have a non-compete, we could go and, and just start eat, eat away at that market share. And so at one point, um, uh, they sued us for they just threw everything in the kitchen sink at us. Um, and it took we were, we were in, embroiled in an 18 month lawsuit wow. with Pinnacle that, you know, really could have put us out, out of business. We were doing about two and a half to three million dollars in revenue. Um, because we had insurance our ins for one of the aspects that, you know, I, I think this is the first time this has actually been talked about publicly, but because of one of the things that they were suing us for, we had insurance against our insurance company had to, had to cover the entire cost of the lawsuit. Wow. Okay. Our insurance company spent over $2 million. Yeah. Well, that was a good move on your part. Yeah, well, we were fortunate. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we were smart about it. We were, well, we were fortunate. Sometimes you get lucky with some of the yeah. things you choose to do. And, and in the meantime, we had acquired a company. So we were doing the coaching analytics and we were building out a pretty good business there. We were doing some facility design and integration where we would provide the technology infrastructure for a lot of those pro teams and or colleges that were building the new practice facilities for recruiting purposes and free agency and things like that. And then we had built a, uh, an internet business where we had, we built it literally from scratch to 180 different uh, collegiate partners um, where we would provide their website. We would provide the backend uh, CMS. We would provide for all of the video streaming. We created a ticketing application, a donor management application, and we were streaming more video, Tom, than anybody in the, more collegiate video than anybody in the, in the country at the time, right. including ESPN, CBS, et cetera. Right. And, and the, the cool thing about that, we had about 35 million unique uh, visitors to our web, our network of web platforms. But more importantly to me, we had over 70 million um, uh, profiles, data profiles. Right, right which now would be really valuable. I was going to say, if this, if, if you, were, you were way before your time, Randy, yeah. obviously uh, essentially building uh, a V1 streaming business at a point in history where streaming wasn't really a business. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And the data, right? The data around that was always our vision to take that data and, and really make it more marketable for the properties, which now is a big deal, right? Of course, it's, it's, it, it arguably is the number one driver for doing these things. Yeah, and if you look, I think that's one of the things uh, in that regard that we're way behind in sports. Right. On the utilization of data and consumer data and how to be smart with it. 
and how to use it to create value throughout our ecosystem. Right. A lot of the pro teams are starting to, and franchises are starting to do a better job with it. But I don't think anybody is doing a really good job with it the way most of the most valuable companies in the world are doing. Right. The yeah, Googles, but at Amazon, least it's been recognized. Right? It's been recognized as as a key piece of of the sports business puzzle. Uh, and just coincidentally, our last podcast, which I think was coming out technically today, or it is out, I think today, uh, was with three of our faculty members who teach uh, analytics and business intelligence. One from the Indianapolis Colts, one from the New York Giants, and one from Major League Soccer. And it was a fascinating conversation. I mean, most of us who are in the business know a little bit about this, but what struck me in the conversation was how it went from being kind of like something we we nice to have, let's do more of it, to like now major seat at the big table. So yeah. even we talked about the idea of sitting in on deal negotiations for sponsorships where data might be yes. harvested. Uh, for example, an NFT deal where there could be tons of data coming from that digital kind of uh, interaction. And they were yeah. all basically saying, yeah, we, we now are part of, we're part of this, the, the inner circle. And then that's my, my, my phrasing, part of the inner circle, because we all know how important it is. I think, look, Randy, you and I have talked about this separately. This is one thing that the savvy owners and commissioners and leaders of sports has learned that the reason why FANG, as we like to refer to big tech sometimes, although we need to change it up because of the name changes, um, <laughs> created so much value in the public markets is that they used the data that they were collecting freely, easily, because we were giving them a lot of that data, right? their products, and turned that into enormous advertising and commerce businesses. And yeah. that's one thing that sports never really did, as you pointed out, yep. until those early days where it wasn't quite scalable yet, you know, with Exos back in the mid aughts, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but now it's arguably one of the top priorities for all rights holders. How, yes. do, we, how do we reimagine this business and, and act like Google and Apple and Facebook and Amazon? Absolutely. I, I could not agree with you more. And to the point where even, you know, and, and Exos went through a couple of different iterations, right? We we sold the internet business. We started an internet broadcast business. We partnered with ESPN and, and the SEC to do the SEC digital network, the Pac-12 digital network, the, uh, the Big East and the Mac, et cetera. But, you know, um, and that kind of fell flat on its face. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, those who are entrepreneurs who get in bed with, um, I would say, higher level, uh, more professional investors, right? The venture capitalists, the private equity, you know, it goes back to what we had talked about before, Tom, you know, as managers of business and builders of business, we build these on the, on the back of the relationships that we've established, mm -hmm. right? Professional investors invest based on the mathematics that they're comfortable with. Oftentimes, the mathematics in sports don't necessarily align necessarily align with the um, the relationships and the integrity of those relationships and the requirement to build those relationships um, in a way that may not fit the math equation, but are imperative to ultimately having the success um, uh, long term success for a business. 
And so that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, my board at Exos wanted to go a little bit different direction. I wanted to build a bigger company. I wanted to get more investment and they wanted to start scaling back and, and not having to invest more and, and to start trying to extract some value. And so at, at some point, you know, it was time for me to go on and do the next thing. And, and that's where I, I really started to focus in on the data side of sports, right, right, right? right? And the data side, and we started circle, go ahead, if you were going to. Yeah, no, I just, I, I have, before we leave Exos, I have to just share one quick anecdote, which is one of my best memories of working with you at Exos. And, and, and I should let everybody know, I, I got to know Randy by helping him a yes. little bit as a consultant with Exos in the early days. But Randy, you, you remember the story? I know you weren't with me at, 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 with this particular meeting. When was was her name Nada? Mm -hmm. uh, Nada Yusina or something like that. Nada Yusina, yeah. Yeah, came into Exos as a I don't know president or something like that. And <clears throat> this must have been around two thousand eight or nine. Somehow we got an appointment at Apple, like the Apple in Cupertino, California, with a guy who's now become a bit of a legend in the world of uh, media and technology, Eddie Q. Remember Eddie Q? Yeah. Yep. Still see his name around. He's still a major. He's one of the top executives at Apple, and it was to talk about the idea of possibly having Apple do something with some of the Exos consumer content. Yeah, and I think back on every time I think of that, which which usually happens when either I see Eddie Q mentioned or something about Duke because he was a Duke guy, and the, the memory I have is we go into his office, Nada and I, and it was like a shrine to Duke University and Duke University sports. Yep. And he immediately related to the concept that you had built with Exos. He's like, oh my God, you know, like he was genuinely excited. It was probably 12 or 13 years too soon to be having that conversation <laughs> with yeah. Apple. But I remember like when Adam and I was really excited. And of course, as you well know, nothing ever happened with Apple because uh, it was way, way too early. Anyway. Right. Why I ended up leaving Exos. <laughs> but, it, but a really, a really funny memory. To think oh, about God, absolutely. Apple now diving headlong into the business uh, with more deals to come probably very soon. Uh, anyway, let's 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 kind of fast forward a little bit because I want to have some time on the new business. So you yep. did a bunch of entrepreneurial things as it relates to digital technologies and data capture and things like that through the 2010s. Yep. If there's anything specific you want to mention, great. But let, let's kind of use that as the backdrop to where this led you with the recently announced Ecker Sports Initiative to get into NIL, this educational platform for NIL, mainly aimed at the high school market. So if you want to add right. some context about that, you know, based on yep. the history. That's no, great. it's great. Yeah, thank you for the lead in there because it's, it's you know, I can get kind of long-winded because there's just so many windy turns. Right, to, and, and look, I think for, for, a, for a certain uh, number of us, it's really interesting stuff. I, I'm like you, a bit of a student of the history of the business, partly because I teach digital media. And I love thinking about all these different milestones and failed efforts and, you know, hey, great idea, but way too soon because there's a lot of examples. Yeah. And what's interesting now is seeing how much of this is coming together, especially in the world of streaming and analytics yeah. and, and digital tech in, in ways that we couldn't even imagine when I first met you back in the aughts. So. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. So in 2011, I left Exos, um, you know, kind of hung out a shingle and just, you know, started dancing around, right? And I, I was very opportunistic. I had a lot of great opportunities to work in, in the data side. 
on the uh, the VR side, which was in its kind of infancy at the time. And, you know, as an advisor and a board member to a company that ultimately sold to Intel. And uh, I was uh, the chairman of a company that eventually sold to MediaOcean recently um, you know, over the last couple of years for about $160 million. Um, and I still advise the CEO. He's just a wonderful young man. I guess he's a president of the commercial business there. But but so as I kind of matriculated through these various opportunities, you know, I'd always thought the high school and youth sports market was this huge untapped market, but it was so disparate and, and you know, segregated that it was just so hard to approach with anything meaningful and relevant. Mm -hmm. And so about five years, I started uh, really focusing in on the, on the high school and the youth sports market. I started palling around with probably the top athletic educator in the in the country at the time, uh, Chuck Schmidt. And Chuck was running for Outfront Media Sports, their high school group. Mm -hmm. So he and I palled around, and I helped him with the digital and the data and the esports side of things, which you know I was getting much much more integrated into. And I really started learning the nuances of the high school market, youth sports market, developing those similar types of relationships. And really started to understand, Tom, that the high school market was, you know, segmented into 51 different fiefdoms, if you will, right? And that 20 years ago, you know, it was still hard to approach those. But they've become those state athletic organizations and the state coaches associations have become better organized, more professionally run, um, more professionally organized, et cetera, to where now by working with the state athletic associations or the state coaches associations, you have great access to the rest of their stakeholders and constituents. Um, fast forward a couple of years to two years ago, and I was introduced to Blake Lawrence at Open Doors. Mm -hmm. And Blake and I hit it off, and he's a wonderful guy, and I have tremendous amount of respect for he and Adi Kunalik and what they've done with Open Doors. And it's by far and away, in my mind anyway, the leading social media publishing platform that impacts NIL. And, they and, a, one time, and a one time guest on the Cuff Show a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, Blake was? Yeah, yeah. Great, a great guy. Very smart. No wonder he thinks he's, he's always ahead of me. <laughs> right. and, and he is because yeah. he's super smart. He and Adi have done a wonderful job. Uh, they have over 75,000 uh, athletes that are on their platform. Wow, now. that's really impressive. And they've really been leaders in the NIL market. Yeah. And so Blake and I, about 15 months ago, we were, we were talking about his priorities for 2021. And, um, you know, their core business, which is all the pro athletes on a worldwide basis, they do all the, both the Olympics, the, the men's and women's uh, for the U.S. Olympic Committee, uh, for the U.S. men's um, I'm sorry, for the, the Summer Olympics, 95% of all the social media that was posted was through their platform, or 95% of the athletes posted on the Open Doors platform. And then they've, of course, been a real driver from a technology standpoint and a content um, standpoint into the, high, into the collegiate space. Right. So we were talking about it, and I said, you know, Blake, um, I think we're missing out on something that's really really valuable and that's the high school space and he said you know randy i get it and i understand that we just don't have the the resources today to 
to do that. We need to focus in on, on the things that we've committed to, which I totally respect. Right. Um, <clears throat> but the thing for me, Tom, and you and I talked about it a little bit before we started the webcast um, or the podcast, it reminded me, I mean, it took me right back to when I was a college coach and the NCAA imposed Prop 48 um, as a uh, method for judging whether or not a student athlete out of high school could qualify for a grant aid from an NCAA institution. Based, and it on, was, based on academic credentials, correct? On, totally on academic yeah. credentials. Right. You know, I understood why they did it, and it probably wasn't a bad thing to do, but how they did it, it was fairly arbitrary, number one. But number two, the hardest part was it was thrust upon the industry. So the colleges and the coaches, you know, okay, it was new to us, but just think about the disparity in the levels of, um, of education at the high school level mm -hmm. and the knowledge base of things NCAA, things that don't really pertain to them other than maybe once in a while when this guy has a potential prospect, right? So <clears throat> it took me right back to that place where it would have been so great if somebody would have focused on educating the high school market as to what Prop 48 was, how to prepare for it, what you needed to do, and not just for the players, but more importantly for their mentors, the coaches, the administrators, um, the parents and the family members, as well as the kids, right? Because mm -hmm. that's where most of kids get their direction from, right. those mentors. Right. So as we started to realize and understand how disruptive NIL was going to be in the sports space, um, Tim Prukop, who's my business partner in this, and I've been working with Tim in, in a variety of capacities. We've been friends personally and professionally for the last 34 years. He's been a client of mine. He ran sales for us at Exos for a number of years, really helped us build it from scratch to, to what it ultimately became. And then, um, you know, I, I borrowed Chuck Schmidt's <laughs> intellect, right? The gentleman I talked about earlier, um, you know, and, and leveraged, you know, kind of the, the relationships that he had introduced me into and, and some of the things that he and I had worked on in the past. And so we really started to create this, this concept and a business around NIL education focused and prioritized for the high school market. And so we, we, and it's grown even, even over the last six months, it's grown from initially we were providing four courses of six modules each for um, coaches, administrators, um, parents, and the kids, right? The student athletes. Mm -hmm. But we started to realize that, you know, that's like a snapshot in time and everything is changing in NIL so rapidly that we needed a way to create an ongoing educational and information dissemination process. And so we created a resource hub, <clears throat> which you can go on eckersports.com uh, and have access to the, the largest library of content specific to the high school market uh, that there is available anywhere. And we have state laws, we have summaries of those, we have bylaws, we have interpretations, you know, for the high school athletic associations. We have um, articles, we have best practices. Eventually we'll have access to um, legal support, um, 
uh, tax support, financial management, recruiting, et cetera. So all of those things are, are available now on our website um, and, and through our resource hub. And then of course, we'll have uh, additional supplemental opportunities for coach assist or parent assist, uh, newsletters, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So there'll be a, a ton of information in addition to what's already there. Um, not just, uh, you know, and, and really there, there's the premise or the mission, Tom, is four things. We want to guide, <clears throat> we want to protect, we want to inform, and we want to help the, the industry thrive through the NIL journey. We want to guide it because there's so much fear, doubt, and uncertainty today in the high school market about what NIL is. I was, I was going to ask you that, if you don't mind, a quick interruption on that sure. first guiding. Absolutely. What, what is, how would you characterize the level of knowledge or lack of knowledge that exists right now? Because this is confusing to all of us in, in one way or another. And for the, um, for the, market at large thinking about let's say you know, like this one this this one sector parents i don't know people just living their normal lives they have a couple of athletes who are in high school one or two of them is high potential they might even know not even you know yet what nil stands for what it means my sense is that there's a whole kind of core educational process that has to be slow rolled here yes that fair to, yeah okay Oh, very fair to say that, and and it 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 occurs in every conversation we have with right. stakeholders from the high school market, from the administrators at the top of the food chain, to the coaches associations, to the actual coaches, to the family members. There's nobody who has a good understanding of NIL, and that's where we've been able to position ourselves for them as the experts on NIL as it pertains to the high school market partly for recruiting, right? It, for those kids who are going to be recruiting or be recruited. And what does that mean? How do they prepare for it? How do they make decisions against it? What are the state laws governing that in the various states where I'm being recruited? I mean, there's just a ton of things there. But now, Tom, one of the things that's occurred, we thought that maybe NIL would trickle down into the high school market as everything does, right? Over the next two to three years. But it's happened like most things in sports. Uh, it's happened much more quickly than that. And right now, there's nine to ten states where NIL is permitted. You know, uh, NIL benefits for student athletes are permitted at the high school level. Wow! And by is there, do you have to be 18? Nope. Wow. Okay. And and a good example is California that has always had that because there's so many kids that were you know had SAG cards, Screen Actors right. Yield cards, right? Oh. So they always had kind of these bylaws and guide, guidance that allowed for kids, as long as you were eligible from an amateur status with your NGB or, or the Screen Actors Guild or whatever it might be. And so a lot of states have started to follow suit. But more importantly, and as we were talking about, you know, helping to educate, but also protect, because one of the things a lot of people don't realize is how litigious the high school market can be, right? Anytime a, a kid, a family feels like their son or daughter is being slighted in any way, shape or form, there's always the potential for a class action lawsuit. Mm -hmm. 
right? Um, and even now in Florida, uh, a group has brought a class action lawsuit that is named the Florida High School Athletic Association, the uh, NSA, NHSF with National High School Federation and the NCAA petitioning for student athletes, high school student athletes in the state of Florida to be able to monetize their NIL. Wow. So, and, and this happens quite a bit, right, right. in the high school market. So by providing education and information, we're helping to protect those folks, right? The administrators, the coaches, et cetera. Um, and then to continue to inform because it is, um, it is quickly filtering down into those states and now we're finding that a number of the states that we're starting to work with and talk to are going through this process. And I'll give you a good example at Louisiana High School Athletic Association. We've been working with them for the, for the past nine months and I give them a ton of credit. And the reason we wanted to work with them because they are leaders in the high school athletic association industry and market. And so we sat down with the executive director and three of their attorneys and we poured through their bylaws. And I said, you know, there is nothing in your bylaws that precludes anybody, any high school student from monetizing their NIL, whether they're a student athlete or student or whatever. And they said, you know, you're right. And so what they did is they made an interpretation through a positioning statement that just clarified that because NIL has become such a big issue and such a hot topic and people are asking about it. And, and kids were starting to take advantage of it. And the lead epidemiologist a couple of months ago called Eddie Bonine, the uh, director of the executive director of the LHSAA and said, hey, we're, um, we're thinking about using high school students to help spread the word about uh, getting vaccinated. Would you have any trouble if we paid them to do PSAs? And so we talked to him about it. And I said, well, if you look at your bylaws, there's really nothing that would preclude them from doing that. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's another uh, function of, of how this came to be. So uh, Eddie Bonine and the LHSAA, they had their general assembly and their, their executive board meeting a couple or last week. And so they announced this positioning statement as a, uh, to provide some clarity as to what their bylaws were. And then he also announced a partnership with Ecker Sports to be the educational partner for the state right. and for all of the stakeholders. Wow. And so um, yep, go ahead. I'm sorry. Another, another quick interjection here. Sure. S setting aside your interest in the success of Ecker Sports and this new initiative and, mm -hmm. and speaking as objectively as you can, Give, give me your three perspectives from, from three perches you're well, uh, you can relate to about NIL. Former player, coach, and parent. Seriously. <laughs> Whoa. We, I, I shared with you the fact that we've had some interesting conversations in recent months on this pod with people about NIL. And I think we all went through that phase of the first year of NIL. It was like, oh my God, there's a whole new opportunity. Everybody's all excited about it. No one talked about any of the negative stuff around it. And then there was like, whoa, wait a second. This is kind of complicated. And this relates to a lot of issues ranging from mental health to financial literacy, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yep. The more I've thought about it and read about it, like the more I realize, you know, this may not be right for everybody, so to speak. So 
Um, I mean, you might have made a million dollars because you were a stud basketball player at Creighton a long time ago. But what do you think about it as a coach? Let's start with coaching first. The, the coach, you're always concerned about your locker room, right? right? And the team chemistry and things like that. Um, but it's also true at the pro level, right? They're always worried about it. And that's kind of the, the written, unwritten rule, right? You don't talk about other people's money, right? Because yeah, but those guys are already highly compensated in many, at least in basketball, with guaranteed contracts. So it's not quite as true, maybe. Okay. True. And, yeah. and that's where I think, you know, the, the coaches from a messaging standpoint, you can't afford to be against it. Right. Right. Or at least say, or at least say publicly that you're against it. Right. right. Yeah. But, but you can, you know, and that's one of the things that we're, and I, and I hope this is an objective comp comment. And I think it is right. We're, we're responsible for helping to educate our kids, our players, right. Students. And, to help them grow as not just players, but as people. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that this provides is a real opportunity to teach kids about responsibility because it's not like you just get money, right? Right. You have to earn that money. Mm -hmm. you, get, you get paid that money to do certain specific things. You have to do them well. More importantly, and I think Tom, you, you understand this and most of your students will, we live in a digital world now. There are kids, there are people, adults making seven figure incomes on being influencers, right? right. Not having anything to do with being a, a sports performer, right. right? Right. And so building your own personal brand and whatever that means to you, mm -hmm. right, is going to be important as you matriculate through life, right? As you go through college, as you go from high school to college, college to um, and, and we're working with a couple of folks that are really expert at this brand building and things like that, where, you know, it's, it's um, creating a creating energy against your values. Right. And I think if you look at it in that way, there's great lessons to be learned here. And a lot of kids can get a leg up on their futures and their careers now as they're in college. And, and I think you would recognize this. I learned a lot more about life and preparing for life outside outside of the classroom than I did in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Sure. The classroom was a great place to teach me how to learn, how to get along with people, what people expected, how to meet timelines, those types of things. But I learned a lot more about life and how to be successful in life or prepared for success in life outside of it. And I think this could be and can be one of those things that we use as coaches or a farmer coach to help prepare our kids and our student athletes for life after basketball, life after college and things like that. And yeah, no, I, think that, I think that makes sense. I, I, I never really thought of it that way, but I, I like that answer and, and I agree with you. And I, and I suppose much of that answer would be applicable to parenthood too. Like you want yeah. your kids to learn responsibility and accountability and things like that better you know, the sooner the better, obviously. Sometimes yeah. that doesn't happen in a typical college experience. And, and uh, then so. also uh, financial management, financial planning. That's what I mean. Yeah, just tax. Like you know, right. how do you deal with your tax? We, um, yeah. you know, we, we met with a coach. Um, I won't even go into the names or even where they're located, but his son uh, is a formidable player at one of the major universities in the country. And his son got a $150,000 deal last summer. So here's a coach and a parent and a, and a player, right? right? 
and they had absolutely no idea what to do. Wow. He called one. He called his position coach, and the coach said, "Yeah, take whatever they give you." <laughs> and the dad said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a wow. sec. Is wow. what do you have? To, what do you have to do? Is it within our value system? Is it you know how, how do we do this? Um, we need an agreement." Um, you know, what are we going to do with the money? You know, you're not going to spend it. We're going to put it into an investment account, et cetera. And this is a dad who's also a coach. So he's been around it a little bit, but they didn't have an, uh, they didn't have a, um, a lawyer. They didn't have an accountant. They didn't have anybody to professionally right. help right. guide them. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we're, you know, we're really promoting is that, you know, we're not attorneys, but neither are you, right? And for certain things, when you get to a certain level, you need to be aware of, you know, are you, number one, is, is whatever you're being asked to do, is that conducive with the brand you want to associate yourself with, right? Or you want people to perceive you to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell you, Tom, I think um, through the first year of NIL here, there's been a lot of kids um, that have used their NIL or a portion of their NIL money for not-for-profit organizations, for benevolent activities. And those kids are just setting themselves up for the future, whether they actually believe in that stuff or not. I happen to think they probably do, um, of being of service and things like that. But those kids are making a name for themselves with, um, and, and the type of a name that a lot of people want to be associated with down the road. Sure. Right? Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, then, and so the, the last category um, is the is the students themselves, I, I kind of understand, I think generally speaking, the attitude that might exist among college students, college athletes, but thinking about your new business and one of the constituencies that you're after, of course, is the actual students. And in certain cases we're talking about, well, in many cases we're talking about minors, they're not even 18 years old yet. They, right. they, they know in most cases, probably little to nothing about business uh, about, about finance, things like that. Do you sense based on the conversations you've had with both the associations and the, the leaders of the high school industry, and uh, maybe some families you've talked to that kids are aware and excited about this, like at least the good athletes? You know, I, I do remember what it was like to be a high school student. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm far removed from it, but right. I do remember it. Right. I don't think any high school student wakes up every day thinking about um, thinking about how much money I'm going to make today. Right. 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 Other than can I pay my can I put gas in my car? Can I take yeah. my yeah. girlfriend out for a date? Can we. Right. You know, so they're starting to get exposed to. You know, for example, we get a lot of inquiries, as do um, the executive directors. Well, if you if this is legal, can they hire an agent? I'm an agent. Can I talk to these guys? Well, there's nothing that precludes them. But, you know, as a coach or a parent in, or an administrator, which I think the first part of our educational curriculum and courses are geared towards is how do you protect your student athletes, number one? then how can you enrich this experience? How can you help them enrich this experience? Right. Because a lot of times the kids aren't gonna be the ones running around with their hand out, right? Mm -hmm. The kids are gonna be responding to either a coach or a family member or a brand who comes to them and contacts them and said, hey, we want you to do this. 
we think we can we can use you right for to add value to our company or our brand um you know and and so i think that's one of the things that um that we're trying to educate the other thing that is really important i think for a lot of the administrators you know there's a lot of um a lot of times and maybe not a lot but there are places right where a lot of recruitment takes place you know in the high school market you know move to you know move to our parish or move to our section or move to you know our geographic area so you can come or if you come we'll pay your tuition or i'll get somebody to pay your tuition and so you know when is that legal and when should they be uh, able to you know to participate and when should they be ineligible for doing those types of things mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that we're also setting up in the places like louisiana and things like that are are uh, opportunities for better compliance and tracking of those types of activities so that the the illegal or the unethical types of activities are at least brought out into the light more often yeah oh gosh there's so many different aspects of this that it's one of those subjects that the more you talk about it the more you realize there's complications that most haven't yeah. thought about yet so i i applaud you for working through yeah. all those Thanks. uh challenges Thanks. talk about um and, and we will wrap up in a few minutes with the final segment but um thoughts about the industry right now more generally because you have a really nice broad perspective of what's going on based on your your background and all your experiences it's we just um we're entering this era of web three new opportunities and blockchain based technologies and nfts and you're seeing kind of the the gold rush there there's a story announced this week that we talked about in my class which i thought was interesting that while the nfl has very restrictive policy about nft excuse me crypto usage they did allow NFT deals, as you probably saw, and Socios ended up partnering with 13 clubs, but those activations cannot include the actual usage of the, of the main product of Socios. So it's kind of funny to me. There's a lot of examples of that going on. Almost like, a, shall we say, exuberant uh, feelings about where this is all going and what might happen in the metaverse and and uh, the, the new universe that everybody's expecting that we're we're going to experience in Web three. What what are your thoughts about that as as an industry veteran? You know, it's really fast. It's a it's a great time to be in in our industry, right? Yes. There's, there's well, so many disruptive that. types of things that are going on. You know, uh, esports, just the entire esports ecosystem is just a wonderful place to be right now. Um, nothing's really been decided, right? Um, but it's just such a great socio social builder and and activity for so many kids. And the 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 premise behind esports about inclusion and competition and sometimes recreational, sometimes highly competitive, sometimes pro. You know, esports in and of itself as an industry is a lot of fun to kind of be a part of right now. And I'm very fortunate to to be an advisor to HSCL, which is the top, you know, high school esports um, uh, competition management company uh, for the high school and the middle school market, for example. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's going on with video capture and management with volumetric video and, right. and AR and VR and XR and 
all those things and how that's going to ultimately impact sports um, in, in a consumer's opportunity to, you know, to uh, consume sports. Uh, I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart as, as, as it is mine. And, and I think that's a big part of um, Web3, right? right? Those types of things and how they integrate and make Web3 types of applications much more relevant and meaningful to a broader range of consumers. So I was saying it's a great time to be in sports and, and, and sports is continuing and sports technology and media is continuing to broaden, right? And expand. Right. And for those young people interested in sports as a career, it's providing a lot broader uh, opportunity to participate in sports. That, that's a really good point. And it, and it relates to something I just experienced the other day. I, I was lucky to have as a guest in my digital class, Deepin Parikh, whom you know from Courtside Ventures. And uh, Courtside is a, is a VC that's doing a, a lot in the sports space, as some of you know. In the course of his remarks, he was with us for about an hour. He must have mentioned at least 50, 60, 70 different companies. And when we were saying goodbye to him at the end of the class, I, I, said, I said to the class, you think about what we just heard. There, there are so many companies out there in this ecosystem of quote, the sports business, that one of the challenges is to figure out where you, we as individuals might fit into that ecosystem. Randy, you, you joke about your experience in the 90s as a, what, what was the phrase you use? Uh, not full, what was the not full-time job reference you made? What was that phrase? Uh, <laughs> um, there was a way you described it that I thought was funny. Sorry, um, I forget. Yeah, right well, now. Like you, you got into the consulting game early. You know, I left AOL and started my. Oh yeah, I'm, I was the master of the part-time job. Master of the part-time job, right? I love that. Um, and part of what um, I really appreciated about part part of what I really appreciated about that was this opportunity to actually uh, learn about different companies, which is one nice thing about uh, doing different kinds of consulting. Uh, things. And one thing to think about for every, every young person right now, this is a good segue into our final segment, is to think about the breadth of the business and where that intersects with your interests, both in, in terms of your functional skills that you have to offer, but also just the part of the business you want to learn in. Because ultimately, these these jobs, really when you're younger, are about learning, as, as you indicated, and, and, and I know well. Um, all right. So related to that, in fact, like, why don't we go and, and I'll change the order up. What general advice about careers do you give the young people you're speaking to? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question. I think for me, there's a couple of things. Unless you absolutely know what you're going to do and you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, things like that, um, you, it's important to stay open and to try, try different things, right? And try and, and uh, get exposed to different things and different um, different avenues and uh, different technologies or different uh, people and things like that, because what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to migrate towards something you're passionate for. And I think it's important to, to find things that you're passionate for and to figure out a way to make those part of your career path or journey or whatever it might be, because in my case anyway, and I think this is maybe the case with most of the people I know in this industry is that our careers choose us. We don't necessarily choose our right. careers. Right. 
Yeah. And just staying open and, you know, similar, I know the other question you ask in this segment is, you know, what, how do you stay smart? And I think that's how I stay smart too, is staying open too. I try and digest as much as I possibly can. I, you know, I subscribe to all sorts of different, um, you know, media outlets and from Sports Business Journal to Sportico to Sports Techie to, right. you know, all of those types of things. Um, and I try and stay current on the various things. But I think more importantly, I learned so much from the people, uh, both inside and outside of my network. Mm -hmm. And I, and I try to expand that network significantly each year or mm -hmm. each month. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that network provides back to me, um, a lot of information or access to things that I, that I need to know about. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to be on the podcast, Tom and, and Sam and, uh, you know, tell Joe that we missed him, but, uh, yes. you know, certainly yeah. uh, it didn't, it didn't shorten the time of the podcast. No, sure. no, no. And, and by the way, I want to apologize to our listeners, listeners for some of the background noise you heard. You might've thought we were recording this on a construction site. Uh, we're, we're you are. Not, but, well, <laughs> in, in a way we are in that uh, Randy is at home in Nebraska and he has his uh, kitchen in the process of being redone right now. And I think that in that last segment, Randy, we were hearing what sounded like a bandsaw or something like a bandsaw. Um, well, you heard it correct. So the right. audio was good. So. Which, which hopefully will, will prove to all the listeners that we're very authentic. You know, we're, we're trying to do this as real people. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Guys, thank you very much. Oh my God. Thank thank Well, thank you. I uh, really appreciate all the time and congrats on this new business, Randy. Uh, I want everybody to check it out. Ecker sports. If you're ever going to be hiring, which I assume you will be soon, uh, make sure you let us know. Columbia got a lot of smart folks. That yeah, are no, absolutely. We're, we're actually hiring interns for the summer too, or part-time. Yeah, and I assume you're doing remote work uh, based on the way things are these days in our country. Well, we, we've got a core group in Austin, but then we have folks in Nebraska. We have a couple of people in Nebraska, including me, California, Michigan, uh, Oh, wow. you know, okay. nice. et cetera. So yeah, we're, we're virtual, we're virtual professionals here. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll ch share that stuff with us and, and we can socialize it around Columbia. Um, and, and um, finally, um, where can people find you individually? I know you're on Twitter. Why don't you share your handle? It's, it's at Randy Ecker is on Twitter. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can just, uh, you know, go to the search and find Randy Ecker uh, or Ecker Sports, either one. There's not many. E-C-C-K-E-R. Exactly. Uh, I was going to I was going to repeat that just so everybody knew. I mean, I've, I've known that yeah. name has been etched in my brain for about 20 years. So I, I knew. It. Yes. Um, but Randy, again, on behalf of um, the absent Joe Favrito and our Columbia Sports <laughs> Management Program, thank you uh, for sharing all your knowledge and yep. your stories and the story of your new business. It really is fascinating. We wish you well with it. And maybe we can circle back on this, I don't know, a year from now when you're being sold to, I don't know, <laughs> Endeavor for a billion dollars because you've done such a big, a great job with it. Wouldn't that be great? All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Really thanks, appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Sam, for producing. We'll yep. see you on the next episode.